Chapter Two of Cherry Ames Island Nurse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Priscilla Chaudaque. Cherry Ames Island Nurse by Helen Wells. Chapter Two The Three from the Plain. Within a very short time, Cherry had the bedroom of the suite ready for the patient, and everything prepared according to Dr. Joe's instructions. But just to be sure, she stood for a moment in the middle of the room to check again. Near the head of the bed were the two intravenous stands, IV stands, the nurses called them, which a hospital attendant had brought from the supply room, where such equipment was kept for use as required. From one stand hung the pint container of normal saline for the administration of saline, an injection into the veins of a salty solution which would have to be given to the patient. The other stand would hold the bottle of blood plasma for the transfusion after the patient's blood had been typed. The man had a sudden hemorrhage and lost a lot of blood, Dr. Fortune had told Cherry over the phone. He'll need a transfusion. She also had ready oxygen tank and mask, thermometer, cotton swabs, adhesive tape, bottles of antiseptic and anesthetic, sterile gauze pads, needles, and rubber tubing used in giving intravenous treatment, hypodermic needles, and other medical supplies. Everything had been done that could be done beforehand. The bedroom had become a little hospital within a hospital. Cherry gave a nod of satisfaction and looked at her watch. The ambulance should be back from the airfield at any minute. She had already alerted the laboratory to have someone ready to make a blood test. Now she heard a knock and a voice call, Miss Ames? And Millie Reynolds, one of the laboratory technicians, came bustling in. They have all arrived. I saw them bring in the patient, so I didn't have to wait for your call, she announced. Millie was a blonde, blue-eyed girl who looked as if she could not possibly have a brain in her head. But she was one of the best laboratory technicians at Hilton. Cherry had noticed the accent on all, and she smiled. How many exactly, Millie, are there with the patient? She asked. Make it sound as if he were royalty accompanied by his entourage. Well, it's practically that, Millie said. I heard this big, handsome, hunk of man say something about his uncle, sir, something or other. That's the patient. Imagine, a patient with a title. Isn't it exciting? Millie did not have time to tell about the others with the sick man, for there were sounds of movement in the hall and a hospital attendant rolled in a still form. He was followed by Dr. Fortune and two young men, one of them in a pilot's uniform, his visored hat in his hand. Dr. Joe gave Cherry one of his warm smiles, then glanced at Millie. Doctor, Miss Reynolds is ready to check the blood at once, Cherry explained. Very good. Turning to the two young men, Dr. Joe told them, you may wait here, in the sitting room. The patient was taken into the bedroom, and the door closed. Things must be done quickly. 
There was no time to waste. A man's life was threatened. In the next instant, the three of them, Dr. Joe, Millie, and Cherry, became an efficient team. The man was unconscious. His flesh was grey and clammy from the loss of blood and shock. His pulse was rapid. The mask was placed over his face and the flow of oxygen regulated. The rubber bands and tubing for the injection of saline were adjusted. Cherry wiped a spot over the veins of one arm with a swab of cotton soaked in antiseptic. The doctor injected a small amount of local anaesthetic to numb the arm slightly, then deftly pushed the hollow needle into a vein in the bend of the patient's elbow, and the slow drip of salty liquid into the vein began. Meanwhile, Millie had pricked a finger and drawn a little of the man's blood into a tiny vial. Off she went with it to the laboratory, where she would test it immediately for blood type. The transfusion could not be given until this was known. Aided by Cherry, Dr. Joe proceeded with the examination of his patient. At the airfield, and during the ride in the ambulance, the nephew and the pilot had told the doctor what had happened, and between listening through his stethoscope, checking a pulse and breathing, gently feeling the patient's stomach and abdomen, Dr. Joe gave Cherry bits and pieces of information. Fellow collapsed in a plane not far from here. Name's Barclay, Sir Ian Barclay. Haven't seen him in ten years. Owns iron mines up in Canada. Peptic ulcer case. Nephew said doctor up there had been treating him for some time. Lloyd Barclay, that's the nephew's name, said his uncle was getting along pretty well. Then this sudden hemorrhage. Uncle went to make a phone call to check on how things were going in his mines. Found there was trouble. Sudden anxiety probably set off this attack. The door opened. Dr. Joe's and Cherry's heads turned as one to Millie, with a bottle from the hospital's blood bank in her hands. Group O, rhesus positive, she told them. And the patience is the same. Perfect match. She walked briskly over with it, then as briskly out again. Group O was a common blood type, and could be safely given to anyone belonging to the other main groups, A, B, or AB, just as long as the rhesus factor was the same. That Sir Ian Barclays belonged to this common type was certainly a bit of good luck right at the start, Cherry thought, as she swabbed his arm with a bit of antiseptic soaked cotton in preparation for the transfusion. Cherry and Dr. Joe could only wait now while the science of medicine, which had taken man many centuries to develop, took over. Sir Ian's body must be supplied with oxygen, so he breathed it into his lungs through the snout-like device invented for the purpose. The salt and liquid his body had lost were being replaced by the saline, and life-giving plasma flowed into his veins from the bottle hanging from the stand. Sir Ian Barclay was breathing easily now. Some of the greyness had given way to the faint violet of the returning blood. The flesh was warmer and drier. Familiar as she was with the care and healing of the sick, Cherry never ceased to wonder at the miracle of medicine, and one was taking place before her eyes right now. It was true that there were failures, and there was so very much yet unknown about health and sickness. Yet, what science and the doctor could do 
was no less a miracle. Perhaps that was why it was the most important thing in the world to her to be a nurse, Cherry thought. She was a part of the wonder of healing. That was the way Dr. Joe had always felt, too. He had given his whole life to medicine. A small, friendly man who spoke slowly and haltingly, who would think of him as a hero. He was a modern-day hero, nevertheless. She saw Dr. Joe put his hand on Sir Ian's forehead. Then he listened again to the patient's heartbeat. Looks as if we'll bring him through, Dr. Joe said, straightening up. He pulled up a chair beside the bed and nodded to one near Cherry. Might as well sit as stand at this point, he said. They sat in silence. Cherry knew that Dr. Joe would add nothing to what he had told her before. That much information he had given her because she needed to be oriented to the case. Sir Ian Barclay at the moment was not a personality to the doctor, but a sick human being who must be made well again. As Cherry sat beside Sir Ian, the lean, powerful figure with its strong, bony face and grey-streaked black hair began to pique her curiosity. Here is a man, she thought, who looks as if he had a great strength of character. He is a wealthy mine owner, a Canadian with a title. He is on a tour of mines in the United States. He calls home, hears bad news, collapses shortly afterward. Sudden hemorrhage of a peptic ulcer, Dr. Joe had said. People with ulcers had sudden flare-ups, that Cherry knew. Bad news could cause an attack. What had been the nature of the bad news that had caused this wealthy man with the sturdy look of an eagle to collapse, she wondered. A mumbling came suddenly from the bed. Both Cherry and Dr. Joe jumped. Sir Ian Barclay had opened his grey eyes and was staring at them. Dr. Joe removed the oxygen mask. When the man tried to raise his head, the doctor bent over and put a gentle hand on his shoulder. Don't worry, Sir Ian. You're coming along all right, he said. Just take it easy now. Sir Ian lay back quietly. His eyes searched the doctor's face for a moment. Then he spoke slowly, but Cherry caught the odd lilt to his voice and a Scottish twist to his words. I'd recognise you anywhere, Sir Ian said. You've not changed in ten years. Dr. Jules of Fortune. He made an attempt at a smile. The way he spoke immediately enchanted Cherry. Later, but that was after she had come to know the sound so well, she always thought of the lilt of a Scottish tongue as a kind of spoken music. Not doctor, you can't keep me here, Sir Ian was saying worriedly. It's most important. I must go home. Now, now, Dr. Joe soothed him. You are not to worry about anything. Nothing is important at all but getting well. It took a bit before Dr. Joe's confident manner calmed him. He kept insisting that Dr. Joe tell him exactly when he could go home, which, of course, the doctor could not tell, because he could not know. Finally, Sir Ian dozed off, murmuring, I shouldn't have left Jock to manage alone. Too much for him. 
I must get back and straighten things out. End of chapter 2